be honest, Matias, I was I was really trusting everything you you said until you got structural relational uh, learning <laughs> wrong. Then you lost me. <laughs> yeah, my 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 PhD advisor would be so upset with me right now. That's why I had to correct that real quick. Otherwise, whew. yeah. Well, we'll make sure to warn people before they listen. Welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast that brings the human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Masters of Data podcast. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm excited to uh, bring on a couple uh, new special guests today. Um, that are going to talk to us about something that you might know not know as much about about uh, graph data and graph databases, but they're also um, some pretty fun people. So I think we're going to have a, a good time. So first we have Denise Gosnell. She is the chief data officer, otherwise known as the goddess of data at Data Stacks. <laughs> it's good to have you here, Denise. Thanks, Ben. Glad to be here. Appreciate uh, <laughs> appreciate that colorful intro. <laughs> Hey, this we'll start off on a good note, and uh, we've 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 also uh, got uh, Matthias Buchheller um, here. Um, I hopefully I didn't uh, butcher that too badly. I'm, I got that little guttural thing going on there. Um, he's our uh, he's the chief technologist over at DataStax, the uh, creative officer, the man of many talents. Um, welcome on uh, onto the podcast. Thank you, Ben. And your six years in Europe definitely show. Like, nice, nice work on the last name there. And apologize for that. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But uh, we're bringing you guys here today. Where it's kind of an interesting time. Uh, you, you guys are sheltering at home just like me. So it's uh, it's good to connect on on any topic, much less um, a cool one like uh, graph data and graph databases. So maybe we just want to start off, and um, you know. Even I being in this space, you know, I still feel like somewhat ignorant on these on these topics. Maybe give us a little primer. I mean, what? Why would you want a graph database? What is graph data, and why why should I care? Yeah, I, I mean, other than we're all isolated right now, which is a fun graph term, anyways. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for uh, for for kind of understanding what graph data is and and why we care, the the best way to think about it is that graph data prioritizes relationships between data over the actual things or the entities themselves. And that's also just kind of how you think, Ben. So I think when we were even getting ready for this, we were kind of walking through how we knew each other. I had a colleague who had a brother who connected us together. And so we were able to kind of map together the relationships that brought us together on this podcast. And it's the way humans think. And the fact that humans think in relationships is exactly why businesses and other people are wanting to use graph data to represent the data within their own companies and uh, set up graph databases to be able to better model it more efficiently. Yeah, and so um, you know what 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 kind of what are the kind of use cases that you you guys are well well I mean even even back to I me mean, maybe taking a step back so what what is graph data and and, and kind of like you you talk a little bit about relationships but what what does that actually what does that actually really mean like what are you actually putting in there. Yeah, good question. I mean, we have we have one massive use case happening in front of our eyes right now with the uh, with the pandemic. Like social networks <laughs> right. are a very prominent use cases of graph data. And if you want to, for instance, model the spread of a disease, let's say, I mean, I'm just pulling this out of my head. Let's say a coronavirus is spreading in a social network, hypothetically speaking, right? Like, <laughs> I'm just so proud of myself of coming up with that example right now. Um, <laughs> 
And uh, in that case, you know, like you don't you don't randomly contract a virus. It's not like it just happens upon you. So if you look at an individual and you look at why they get sick, it's usually because they contracted it from somebody that they were in close contact with. Right. And that's what the CDC is telling us. Please stop doing that for the very reason that that um, that that transmits the virus. Now, if you wanted to model that and understand how it spreads in um, in, a, in a society, you need to understand how that society is connected, like who knows whom, who hangs out with whom, who goes to work with whom, who is in the same room with somebody else. Um, and that is fundamentally a graph, right? You have the, the, the vertices or nodes in the graph are people and the edges or relationships connecting them are encounters that they've had. Um, and mm-hmm. then you can superimpose that graph on onto the social network of who knows whom or who works with whom. Um, so you have very different types of edges. Um, we call that edge labels. So you have a you know a label between Denise and myself, we're coworkers, right? So that connects us. Um, and then you know between me and my partner, we have you know cohabitating edge. So we, you know we know that we live together, and those edges carry different you know different connotation, different semantics, and how we relate it. And in the case of a pandemic model, for instance, you would then model the spread differently according to what the edge labels are. Um, so social networks, one very prominent example, one of the earliest use cases of graph data and graph data modeling, like sociologists have been using this for many years um, um, to think about social dynamics, social networks, institutions in that way. And obviously epidemiologists are using um, graph theory in that regard as well to understand how viruses spread and you know why they, why they spread so much quicker in densely populated areas and you know strong social networks than sparsely populated rural areas um, is basically a direct outcome of modeling. Uh, viral spread on social networks. Now, and, and when you when when you actually talk about like say an epidemiologist, oh, that's a big word. Uh, you know, when someone's actually using this to understand virus transmission, do you, do you find it, are those people actually thinking like that? I mean, how are they actually interacting with this data? I mean, do you is is a MD PhD actually you know actually interacting with graph data and doing this, or is this is this something that's like a couple layers beyond them? No, I, uh, especially with, in regards to this pandemic, I think this is the first question that anyone is being asked when they end up being tested positive for the coronavirus. They're immediately walking through their history of the past 14 to 21 days, who they interacted with, what places they visited, and they're, they're asking people to record very interesting scenarios of the potential spread that they could have ignited because they ended up being positive. There's some very uh, detailed reports that you can get coming out of South Korea where they followed the first 31 patients. And I think that's the right number, uh, but they had drawn a specific relationship graph from patient zero, who they infected, et cetera. Uh, and then I think it was patient 31, if I'm remembering, that did not comply with self-isolation or following their rules. And so they ended up creating this massive a community of, in, of additionally infected individuals, a uh, community because they went to church, they went to uh, another hospital, et cetera. And so, yes, the, the graph of this infection is very much at the forefront of researchers' minds. And it's, it's the data that they collect immediately when they get a new positive test. And is that, is that, um, and, you know, and I, I think I've always found this uh, to be an interesting part about talking about this. I mean, we, we literally all live graph data every day. Exactly. You know, because, you know, there's, it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a very, um, at least as far as math goes, it's, it's a very, you know, realistic depiction of our world, I guess is what I'm trying to get yeah. at. But, but, but in, in some sense is that, um, when you look at those researchers, are they actually, 
are they actually implementing it the way? Are there actually tools for those researchers to use that are mapping that all out? Uh, or is this just something they're kind of thinking through and they're writing, you know, putting in an Excel spreadsheet? I'm assuming not. I hope not. <laughs> I think, I think there's from. a, there's a bit of both happening. I think there's like, there's a, you know, there's a research area called network science, you know, people that are, you know, trained to think in terms of graphs and, and networks. Um, and those people are very familiar with the tools and technologies. Um, but I think you also write that there isn't, there aren't very many tools out there that would allow people without a very strong technical background to implement this kind of tracing in, in the real world, right? Like we still have to build mostly custom systems and, and you'd be surprised, but like, yes, Microsoft Excel is often used for this kind of stuff, right? Like people have built extensions to Microsoft Excel in order to make it map network data, which is, you know, obviously putting you know, something on top of something that shouldn't really belong together, but <laughs> but because you have you have that need and people are familiar with Microsoft Excel, they're you know, people have created network science tools that work with Microsoft Excel. Um and one of the things that we're trying to trying to get the world to um to use our are tools that are purposefully built for graphs, right? Like that allow you to represent data in a graph way so that you can more easily answer queries like for a particular individual, who have they been in contact with? And then map that out to hops. And hops is a word of saying like the extending the neighborhood of people. Um, and doing that with pen and paper is very, very hard, right? Like if I gave you a list of like who contacted whom and then I tell you for an individual, give me everybody that they contact and then everybody that those people contacted, you'd be doing a lot of work on paper to figure out who those people are because you're going back and forth tracing these individuals. And unfortunately, yes, some people are still doing that. And I think we're, we're now at the sort of at the border where the technology is becoming available that we no longer have to do this pen and paper style or like, you know, spreadsheet style, and we can use dedicated tools. Um, but that they're still very young. They're still very much in the infancy. Um, and there's still a lot of education that needs to happen before people feel comfortable thinking in graph terms, but also implementing it in graph terms, right? Like you said, like a lot of mathematicians have been thinking in graph terms for many years. Um, but there is, there's a disconnect between that and the people that build systems that are engineers, that are doctors, that are scientists. Like those, those people still, um, don't necessarily know the tools or are not familiar with them or not educated on them and how to use them. Are you guys basically finding that the interest in, 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 in graph theory and in graph databases has actually risen right now? Or is it, um, you know, are you, are you seeing like increased like interaction with, with what's going on? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the, the era of, of using tools and graph tools to map out your graph data is, is here. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been trending upwards recently. And actually, Matthias, you shared with me some very interesting statistics this week about, the popularity of of searching for graph databases, yes. Yeah, we and when you look at, I mean, this is when you do some keyword analysis, Google Trends analysis, you can see that they're they're actually coming up and they're one of the the most popular. Like we, we're looking specifically at graph database technology, and and there's been quite a search in in the trends over you know the last couple of months, but also the last couple of years, where people are understanding more and more how deeply interconnected everything is. And I think a pandemic is a very, very vivid way of demonstrating that to the world, right? Like the the fact that a disease can spread globally, I think pretty much every country is affected at this point, right? Is a very vivid demonstration of how interconnected we are as a human species. But you can, the same thing applies to our supply chain networks. And yes, we've also found that out kind of the hard way, right? With this pandemic, seeing how 
closing a factory in China immediately, like, immediately affects what you can order on Amazon, you know, a couple of weeks later. Um, and, and understanding those relationships, like there's multiple relationships in between, obviously, you getting your package on your front door and something being produced in a factory in China. But those are complex supply chain networks that we rely on as a human species to get the goods that we need to get. Um, and, and that's just a couple of examples. If you look at financial transaction networks, if you look at, if you look at just the, the social networks that we have come to, you know, come to appreciate with Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, networks are all around us. And I think, you know, this time right now is a very vivid demonstration of how important they are. But I think people have been understanding this for the last couple of years and are looking for tools to make it easier for them to, to work with them, analyze them and use them to their advantage. One question I would have on that, I, when I've had discussions about, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence and, uh, you know, things in that year, there's kind of a transition going on in that space now where, you know, the, the technology to some sense has been out there for a while, but it's transitioning from, um, something that researchers do to something that's actually getting integrated into real business processes. And actually, um, I even interviewed a, a couple guys, um, a couple weeks ago that, uh, were, were talking about exactly that. So where is, Where's kind of, uh, you know, in terms of like graph theory and graph database, uh, you know, implementations So where, where are they in terms of that journey? Is it, are we, are we kind of moving from that research phase into something where it's going to be more widely deployed or is that already happening? And is this a matter of it growing out in different verticals and different use cases? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And, uh, you know, Matthias and I have been working, uh, either at data stacks or together within the broader graph community for about a decade now. And the way that the way that we see that is that we kind of have two main two main forks in where graph use is being more widely adopted with by companies and people around the world. Uh, on one side, we have the the common templates of patterns and how people are using graph data, and then on the other side, we see an uptick in how people are wanting to use graphs to more deeply research new problems. And uh, for the first for the first side, you know, Matthias and I spent the past year and a half, two years, working together to extract the co- the common templates and the common patterns of what people are doing with graph data in production applications, and that's what we wrote about. And the you kind of already heard Matthias talking about one of them. the The most popular way that people are trying to understand and use graph data in a production application is to go through that neighborhood approach. So for this person, uh, tell me everything related to them within my data. And then I want to know two layers out or two neighborhoods out. Tell me everything related to that. And that idea of doing neighborhood expansion is the most popular way that uh, companies over the past 10 years have emerged as the as the common template for where people are getting started. And there's other ways that we uh, have found companies that are wanting to use graph data. A really common one is what we did to start when we were discussing how we know each other in this podcast. What's the path between me to you? Uh, like we talk, we talk with each other all the time in that sense, like help me get connected with how I know you, you use LinkedIn that way. Anytime you search for someone on LinkedIn, you see like that badge that says you're their second or third connection. And then you kind of drill in and you want to figure out who, you know, in common, it's the path. It's understanding your connected relationships that get you from one person to another. And then the other really most popular way uh, that we all use probably every day and even more so now is uh, those movie recommendations that you get on your favorite streaming platform, probably Netflix. Um, but the but the idea of uh, of kind of looking at the analysis of what movies your friends watched 
uh, and using that to generate a recommendation back to you uh, is just at the center of how we use our digital content. Every one of those recommendation panes are, are using different things called or different algorithms called collaborative filtering that serve up new recommendations. So to your question, Ben, we see common templates uh, that that companies have emerged through creating over the past 10 years. That's one way uh, the graph technology has been more widely adopted and starting to solidify uh, within industry uses. And then the other way uh, is just more in ways that people are finding creative solutions to, to different complex problems. Well, well, now you're talking about Netflix recommendations. I'm, I'm more engaged. So this is, this is, <laughs> no, um, no, but in, 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 in all, in all seriousness, you know, one thing I, you, you, uh, you remind me of Denise is that, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but in like the early days of Netflix, I don't, I don't know why I did this. This is, uh, um, probably an unfortunate mission, but I would spend, um, significant amounts of time, let's say that going through and rating movies. Cause you know, you could used to be able to do that and it would give you like this, I, there's a giant page or something. And I, I think I rated like hundreds of movies and then they made this transition at Netflix where they went from ratings to basically like a thumbs up and whatever you really watch. And, and I remember when, um, I read some things about it, it was, it was because they made it, and I'm sure I'm oversimplifying it, but they, they made a transition from, you know, what you say you want versus what you actually do. Cause I, I remember when I, um, early in the days when I was illegally downloading music to be clear. Um, and, uh, and I would, uh, I would rate, you just the, admit to that? <laughs> no, it was legal. Um, uh, but I would, I would rate the music and I would rate all this music really high. And I was like, well, because it's, 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 it's supposed to be good, but I'm like, I never listened to it. So there were, there was this kind of thing about like analyzing what you actually do versus what you say you want to do. Right. So, so with, with that long introduction, it, it, it sounds like, is that partly what, uh, you know, graph theory and graph data can actually help? Cause it sounds like that's how you would actually map out what I'm talking about, what you actually do and what your friends do. That's that's how you would map that out with uh, with graph data as opposed to these kind of very kind of traditional rating diagrams and stuff like that, or if that's the right way to say it. Yeah, I think one of the benefits of graph is that you can incorporate very many different types of data into one graph. Like we see a lot of companies, a lot of individuals apply graph in those cases where you have very different sources, like the, the ratings that you were talking about, like you rate a movie four out of five stars, let's say. But then there's also an edge between you and the movie and you watch the movie, right? And those edges are timestamped. So you might have multiple edges between you and watching the movie. And that is another data point that is being considered by the algorithm that says, well, he only rated this movie two out of five because, you know, he felt like his friends were judging him if he liked, you know, the Princess Bride or something, right? But you're watching it. an amazing it, movie, to be clear. Just right? to be clear. You move, but you're you watching it on. every Friday. So obviously there's a disconnect <laughs> between your rating and, you know, how often you watch it. And, and we can incorporate all that data into the graph so we get a fuller picture. But then we can also look at how often are you stopping the movie? When are you watching it? How often are you recommending it? Um, what other modes of interaction do you have with that movie that can all form one big connected graph of data that can then be used in order to inform the recommendation system. And that's one of the areas that Graph is really powerful in is that it allows you to evolve your data model, the kind of data that you're capturing very quickly to accommodate all these various signals that you're getting and then to experiment with those signals and see which ones work, which ones don't work, um, and then build the model um, to to be the best that it can be. Well, it's, um, 
That's really fascinating. I hadn't thought about it that way. So I'm, I'm, uh, you know, back to what I was saying with, with AI and things like that. Is there, is there kind of an intersection there? Cause it seems like what you're describing is a more, it's something more like what you would expect when, when an artificial intelligence algorithm is actually making connections between things and, and understanding like the relationships between different ideas. Is there, is there kind of starting to be an overlap there between uh, those two disciplines? I, I definitely see a massive overlap between those two disciplines. There, There's a, a long list of really fascinating and, and creative ways to use the connectedness in your data to generate you know, new, uh, new recommendations or I guess new clusters if you want to kind of go into a more of a machine learning AI perspective. Uh, because when you when you look at the traditional approaches that have made it into production applications with machine learning, we're we're looking at very flat flat sets of features where we've got uh, you know ten things that are really important and you run them through. Let's be honest, y equals mx plus b. I mean, at the end of the day, almost everything in production that's machine learning is just linear prediction, but that's fine. Uh, but what's but what's really interesting is when you're able to add one more dimension to that. And that would be the connections uh, between your features or the connections between your pieces of data. You can do more creative things. Um, And actually, Ben, you probably use one of these almost every day when you go to Google and you do a basic search. Behind the scenes, one of the ways that all those search results are returned according to the relevancy is, is something called PageRank, where the links that exist from one page to another help determine, well, what's the most popular content that is is both authentic, real, not spammy, and things like that. That's that's in the background, just one way that Google is determining your search results. It's all those links. This page links to that that page, which links to this page, et cetera. And it's it, it's it's an unsupervised approach. Uh, PageRank is kind of the ML and AI part of uh, what we're talking about. But there are dozens of other really fascinating and creative algorithms that you can dive into in that space to to start to see how connected data provides more unique, interesting ways to look at ML algorithms uh, than if you were looking at the flat uh, feature tables. You know, um, yeah, that that, uh, that that makes a lot of sense because you know, kind of what I'm what I'm hearing you guys saying is that I, I think that's that's always one of the you know, the, the big problems in data in general is, is like the, the format of the data itself is like, you can have really amazing data, but if it's not put in a format that's consumable and it's not put in a, and you don't, you don't have a way of representing those things, you add all this extra friction into finding out what you need to find out. And so in in some sense, that's how those, um, that's how those things always really go together. So it makes a lot of sense that, uh, really using graph data would actually unlock a lot of possibilities for you know, it's that it's that old joke right where it's like if some when somebody tells you they want ai and machine learning what they really mean is they want clean data and a regression model i think that's <laughs> yeah. that's what they actually mean like you know like in terms of translating that and i think there's a lot of truth to that like we see we see that oftentimes you can go a long ways if your data is clean as solid is well structured and you put a nice regression model on it you can get very very highly predictive models um, that said, there's obviously been a huge rise in unstructured machine learning right? uh, and, and AI. Like with TensorFlow and such, we've been able to make phenomenal leaps in terms of being able to do, you know, object recognition in pictures, to do object classification, to do, um, you know, text analysis. All those unstructured sources of data um, are now much more um, analyzable by by machines. 
I think we're going to see a similar push, and this is kind of this is looking into the future. We are now seeing how these deep learning models can be applied to structured sources of data, and I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see the two converge, where you have these deeply structured sources of data, and then you have these very, um, very, very deep machine learning models that you know you can superimpose one on the other. Um, and there's actually an area within machine learning called um, relational structural learning um, that explores exactly that intersection. Um, and it's actually structural relational learning. I got it the wrong way. But um, but that's that's been an area that, that people have been doing research in for, for decades now. Um, and it's finally coming to the point where we're seeing the huge benefits that we can deliver if we look at structured data in combination with machine learning. Whereas I think in the past, we've kind of thought about this MS sort of separate things, right? You use these deep learning models on mostly unstructured data, and then you use more standard like vector-based models on structured data. And I think the, the combination of the two can be really, really powerful um, and will, is something that we'll hopefully see in the next couple of years. No, that sounds fascinating. You know, to be honest, Matias, I was, I was really trusting everything you, you said until you got structural relational uh, learning <laughs> wrong. Then you lost me. <laughs> yeah, my 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 PhD advisor would be so upset with me right now. That's why I had to correct that real quick. Otherwise, whew. yeah. Well, we'll make sure to warn people before they listen. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, no that that actually that actually is really 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 fascinating. I think this this is um this is obviously an area where you could just, you know there's there's layers upon layers of uh you know th- things going on here so I, I i guess to take it up one level you know as we kind of put a bow on this um you 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 talked a little bit about, about this matthias but from the from the both of you I mean what do you you know what what do you see is the is the the future here where are things going you you've you've written this this um this this great book so um, you know, now I'm guessing there's nothing else to do or is there, I mean, what's, what's, what's next? Yeah, let's go home. People we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, oh gosh, that, that, that's a, that's a hard one to zoom back out, uh, and, and really look at. And I know Matthias is really, really great for providing a little bit longer, uh, you know, forward thinking. I'll stay a little bit more medium term thinking, uh, with, with my response, Ben, to that. So personally, uh, you know, again, this is a lot of what we wrote about and I mentioned it already, but I, I think that in the next few years, uh, more short term, what we're really going to see come together is uh, a more a wider adoption of the common ways that people want to use graph data. And I, I say that because there's a very uh, established way that you're going to use um, SQL technology or any type of a relational database, there, there's really common templatable patterns on how people deploy that technology and use it uh, to structure and organize their data and then to query it and and show a user what to do with that with that shape of data. And when I say that shape of data, I'm thinking more like rows and columns, like people know what to do with that stuff. I think in the next two to three years, we're going to see a, a, a much larger adoption of what people learn to do with relationships and data. And we have some great examples uh, of, of how we interact with that already. It's what we do already with LinkedIn. It's what we do all day on Netflix. We, we've got those more innovative applications already using it. So in the next few years, I'm, I'm seeing that more apps are going to be using paths, using connections and data as a way to contextualize and, and personalize how you use your app. Um, but Matthias, I'd be really curious like if you see what you see beyond that. I think you're hitting the nail on the head here by saying one of the first things we need to do in this area is make it more consumable by 
developers, by engineers. Right now, Ben, to your earlier question, right now, it, it is very much a sort of a scientific thing. Like lots of scientists are using it. Lots of data, like in particular data scientists are familiar with graph technology and are applying it. But it hasn't really reached the mainstream, much like like AI now has, right? But it's not because everybody know now is, knows how to build like seven layer deep neural networks and all that sort of stuff, but because it was abstracted to the point where I can now say, hey, I have this corpus of data, like I'm just going to shove it at this API and it's going to, you know, do f- some feature learning and, and give me back a model that I can deploy and I don't have to know all the intricate details of the system. And we're not quite there yet with Graph. With Graph, and, and you can see this in the book that we wrote, there's still a lot of things you need to know in order to not shoot yourself in the foot. Um, a lot of things you need to know in order to be successful. And we need to reduce that barrier. We need to make it easier for people to say, okay, I get it. I understand LinkedIn. I understand how you know viruses spread and I understand how that kind of spreading behavior can be. You can model how ideas propagate exactly the same way as how viruses propagate. So if you want to bring a new product to market, you should understand how that works. Great. But we don't have the simple tools yet where an engineer can say, okay, I'm just going to grab this thing off the shelf and I'm going to model how our new product propagates in a social network. That does not exist yet. They would have to you know, embark on a journey to learn this technology. And that's something we need to do as the first step is lower the barrier. Um, and then I think we're going to see phenomenal applications of this technology and and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be enable us to do things that are beyond our wildest dreams to the point where at some point we, we can be able to really understand how supply chain networks work, really understand how financial systems work, which we currently don't really. I mean, look at the 2008 financial crisis. Like nobody knew what was happening as our financial system crumbled around us and we were scrambling to understand what the dependency were and which bank had what on its balance sheet. Like we need to get to a situation if we want to understand and model human behavior with a certain level of resilience, we need to get to that level of understanding. And the only way we can do that is enable a lot of people to use these kinds of tools successfully. Yeah. Well, that, um, that sounds, Sounds good. Good job. You came <laughs> Let's back. Do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I um I, I trust in you again. Thank you, Matthias. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, this is um as as I, I said it would be it's it's been uh, fun to interview you guys. You um you you make graph theory fun. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) but i i think this is uh this is a really interesting area and and like i said it's one of those fascinating uh you know mathematical computer science areas that we live every day but um you know we don't necessarily talk about it that way so it's always been fascinating to me so i appreciate you guys taking the time to come on yeah and thank you for having us yeah thanks so much for having us absolutely and uh and, and stay safe and um we'll uh we'll we'll stay in touch and Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Masters of Data. Take care. Masters of Data is brought to you by Sumo Logic. Sumo Logic is a cloud-native machine data analytics platform delivering real-time continuous intelligence as a service to build, run, and secure modern applications. Sumo Logic empowers the people who power modern business. For more information go to sumologic.com. For more on Masters of Data, go to mastersofdata.com and subscribe. And spread the word by rating us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.